Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You are one pathetic loser. I am too smart. I am too smart. I am too smart. I am too smart. SMRT. You see? You see? Your stupid minds. Stupid. Stupid. If you just read the bio for Dr. Steve, host of Weird Medicine on Sirius XM 103 and made popular by two really comedy shows, Opie and Anthony and Ron and Fez, you would have thought that this guy was was a bit of, uh, you know, a, a clown. Why can't you give me the respect that I'm entitled to? I've got diphtheria crushing my esophagus. I've got Ebola virus dripping from my nose. I've got the leprosy of the heart valve exacerbating my incredible woes. I want to take my brain out and blast it with the wave, an ultrasonic, echographic, and a pulsating shave. I want a magic pill for all my ailments, the health equivalent of Citizen Kane. And if I don't get it now in the tablet, I think I'm doomed and I'll have to go insane. I want a requiem for my disease. From the world-famous Cardiff Electric Network Studios, it's Weird Medicine, the first and still only uncensored medical show in the history of broadcast radio, now a podcast. I'm Dr. Steve with my little pal, Dr. Scott, the traditional Chinese medicine provider, gives me street cred to whack alternative medicine assholes. Hello, Dr. Scott. Hey, Dr. Steve. And my wife, Tacey, my partner in all things. Hello, Tacey. Hello. This is a show for people who had never listened to a medical show on the radio or the internet. We ascribe to the Tukey World Order, T-W-O. If you have a question that you're embarrassed to take to your regular medical provider, Steve or if you don't does. find an answer anywhere else, give us a call at 347-766-4323. That's 347-POOHEAD. Visit our website at drsteve.com for podcasts, medical news, and stuff you can buy. Most importantly, we are not your medical providers. Take everything you wear with a grain of salt. Don't act on anything you hear on this show. Without talking over with your health care provider, please don't forget stuff.drsteve.com. That's stuff.drsteve.com for all of your online shopping needs. Scroll down and get a roadie from for the uh, stringed instrument player in your family. Uh, or you can go to roadie, R-O-A-D-I-E dot drsteve.com, and there's apparently some discount there. Check out simplyherbals.net. That's simplyherbals.net, Dr. Scott's website. Tacey and I do a Patreon, patreon.com slash weirdmedicine. While I'm on my wellness retreat, I'm going to maybe think about doing a Patreon every night. Nope. Why not? You're because on that's not a wellness vacation. retreat. Yes, it is. No, no, it no isn't. devices. Why isn't it? No devices. Fuck off. <laughs> Except for when your wife calls oh, about okay. oh, fucking yeah, internet. You Fuck you both of you. <laughs> Eat my ass. It's either you or Scott. Oh, you're not supposed to curse Somebody's in the last first two minutes of your of your uh, show without getting. Well, drunk. you did it. Oh, I did it. Well, you you made me. Made me. And check out cameo.com slash weird medicine. I will do cameos from there because that's relaxing. 
I will do cameos. So uh, cameo.com slash weird medicine. Five bucks. It's Please ha- send Tacy money. It's half of what Tuki. Because I've got to eat. Yeah, it's half of what Tuki charges. And I'm going to have to. Oh, yeah. You're going to like damn now. Go, go, go. Uh, what okay. do you call it? DoorDash and shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's true. Poor old taste. The old taster. Poor old taste. And what if she the could... Wi-Fi goes out? Well, then you're screwed. Oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah, then you're screwed. Well, anyway. Screwed girl. <laughs> screwed girl. This happy husband. I'm going to be doing the whole time. I love the <laughs> Yeah. I love the well, I hope you get your money's worth. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Very good. Check out Dr. Scott's website at simplyherbals.net. That's simplyherbals.net. Everything going okay over there? Oh, yeah. We are uh, recording this in uh, September 12th, as a matter of fact, of 2023, and it is al- officially... Allergy season. Yes, There's grasses and ragweed Gosh. and stupid crap out there. And, uh, you know, check out Dr. Scott's website. He's got a possible solution for you. I can't actually. Whoa, nice. Oh. That was my fault. Um, can't actually advertise anything on here, but check out Dr. Scott's website at simplyherbals.net. Maybe you'll say a thing or two that might help you. <laughs> anyway, all right. Um, last time we did kind of a fun thing. I think it was fun. We went back to voicemails that we've never answered from 2014 (laughs) and um, found out that people had some shit going on 10 years ago that we never got to. So hopefully they're okay. Maybe we'll get some feedback. So I thought we'd do some more of that today. But before that, I think uh, it is time for... It's Tacy's Time of Topics. A time for Tacy to discuss topics of the day. Not to be confused with Topic Time with Harrison Young, which is copyrighted by Harrison Young and Area 58 Public Access. And now, here's Tacy. Tacy wishes she was on a show called Tacy in Paris. Mm. Yeah. Tacy okay. in Paris or Tacy in a room that has air conditioning. Hello, everyone. <laughs> you know, we're trying to work on that. We're going to move the studio. But then Tacy was like, no, I like it up in, you know, and it's like, okay. We well, can't. okay, nobody turned the air conditioning on. So that's not an hmm. air argument. <laughs> okay. All right. okay, so topic one. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Scientists grow human kidneys topic inside pigs using stem cells. Oh, yeah. A team of Chinese researchers has successfully has successfully grown early stage developing human kidneys into female pigs using chimeric embryos. Yeah. This is the first Wait, time. Chim- true chimeric embryos? I mean, are they are they chimeric in the sense that they're half pig, well, half human? if I can read on. Oh. This is the first time a solid human organ has been grown inside an animal species other than human. Hmm. Yes. And this was in Interesting Engineering. This is also from Stacy What's-His-Face. <laughs> okay. That Unlike that normal guy. embryos, chimeric embryos contain cells or tissues from two different organisms. And what are the two organisms? In this case, the researchers used human and pig cells. Wow. Mm. So these are true hybrids? Sounds like an X-File. I mean, I reckon so. Oh, my God. They're going to be overrun by pigmen. Okay, so or let man me, pigs. Let me oh, we read already on. have those. 
Okay. The researchers claim that the embryos underwent normal development inside pigs for 28 days. During this period, they noticed the formation of tubules and mm. some other renal structures tubules. in the developing kidney. What? The study demonstrates proof of principle of the possibility of producing a humanized organ. Okay, so they just, okay, so they have, the pigs are chimeric or the embryos were chimeric? Well, I was kind of, the embryos were, I mean, the pigs were chimeric. The pigs are. So the pigs are raised with human and pig DNA. It's, um, I'll temporize while you look for that. I'm not looking for it. No, you're just looking. I'm just reading. <laughs> you're just looking down at I'm just thing. reading. Okay. I'm just very curious because so they just raised some embryos and saw that the embryos made uh, t- kidney tubules and then just what aborted them. You know, the question I was going to ask you, Steve, is, yeah. is what a chimeric pig is. So you cannot ask me any questions beyond that. Yeah. No, no, no. Um, Okay, so well, you said it. Chimera, chimera are uh, you know in mythology it was a mixture of two different animals, mm-hmm. right? It'd be like uh, what? But it, it says wings in this and, case and a the researcher a man and a, a man and a unicorn or something. Well, it says the researcher <laughs> used human and pig cells to create the chimeric embryos. So it was a mixture of both. Oh, boy. Yeah, there's a whole thing about moral uncertainty and the farming of human pig chimeras. So uh, this is from National uh, Library of Medicine. This is from the Journal of Medical Ethics in 2019. They were worried about this. They said it may soon be possible to generate human organs inside of human pig chimeras via a process called interspecies blastocyst complementation. Well, Ooh. let me continue reading. Oh, there's more. Okay. And you can comment yeah, yeah, yeah. As, Go you, ahead. as you feel well, thank you. Um, obliged. <laughs> In the past, scientists have used a similar process to produce human tissue and muscles inside pigs. Mm. However, they couldn't grow an entire organ because successfully incorporating human stem cells with pig cells is very tricky. Ooh, yeah. Bad. For instance, pig cells tend to be more successful or dominant in such embryos because they multiply more rapidly than human cells. This competition can make it challenging for the human cells to survive and develop within the pig embryo. Wow. Also, human and pig cells require different nutrients, environmental conditions, or signaling molecules to grow. So they employed three techniques to overcome these challenges. First, they used CRISPR to eliminate two two genes in pig cells. CRISPR is basically a gene editing system. That's required for pig kidney development. Um, This ensured the growth of only human kidneys. Second, they ensured and used human... Well, you know, even you cook... Pluripotent stem cells in the chimeric embryo. Bacon in lard. It'll make it. These cells can renew, grow, and divide into any type of human cells. It'll make third. Anything they created an optimized environment for the embryo to accommodate the distinct both needs of both human and pig cells. This environment ensured that each cell could receive the nutrients and molecules best suited for their growth. They must have had plenty of mud in there to accommodate them pig cells, don't you? Okay, so they created one thousand eight hundred and twenty chimeric embryos. Right. So the the mother 
is an actual pig. Mm-hmm. The embryo is chimeric, which it makes me feel a little bit better that they don't actually have adult pig human chimera running around. And they only use 13 yeah, surrogate of. pig mothers. Hmm. And they only well, examined five embryos. You bunch of pig mothers. That's what they called them. I know. When they examined five embryos after 28 days, they found that they had grown into mesonephros, early stage human kidneys with tubules yeah. and cell growth, forming the ureter. Okay, so hmm. the the thing is that where the the ethics is going to come into this is because they're going to make embryos inside these surrogate pig moms and they have some human DNA and some pig DNA. First off, if you grow one all the way to the end, I don't think it will grow. No. I think that something, what Tacey was alluding to is that, you know, the the pig cells want to develop faster because pig embryos develop faster. Than human embryos. I mean, we take nine months to develop. What's the gestation period for a pig? Anybody know? Nope. Nine okay, weeks. Well, let's, let's see if Echo knows. I know is it's it nine like weeks? five no. weeks for a Labrador. Pretty quick. Yeah, it's pretty quick. Echo, what is the gestation period for a pig? Here is an answer from an Alexa Answers contributor oh, that no. I translated. The gestation period for a pig is 114 days on average. Well, that's longer than I thought. Mm-hmm. So it's about... So 114 four days. So four months. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. 30, yeah right. Right. Something like that. Yeah. Because 120 days would be four Roughly months. Right. <clears throat> so about so they it develops about twice as fast. So those cells will overtake the human cells. That's probably a good thing because you don't want to deliver one of these things. And because God knows, you know, I'm, I mean, I've seen. I am Legend and other movies like that. You <laughs> well, know, it's a, you know, or, or Alien Three, where the alien came from a dog. Oh goodness! Um, but and then the other thing is, is that are some people going to say, "Oh well, this is you know human, and you're killing it," and it's like, no, this you should see this as an abomination, and, and therefore okay to kill and harvest its organs. Mm-hmm. You know, those people. Mm-hmm. You know who I'm talking about. So, I think. Uh, uh, yeah, this is very, very interesting. It really would be better if we could just grow human kidneys in the lab, you know, just in a in a vat, that way, artificial blood supply and grow them that way. But I guess that's a long way off. You know, we just don't have the uh, way to 3D print them and then animate them. You know, if you could 3D print the... Um, uh, tissue scaffolding and then populate it mm-hmm. with stem cells that you didn't harvest from a fetus because that's where everybody f- freaks out. Yep. We can create stem cells without using fetal cells now. So, and then have them go in and somehow figure out how to make the tubules and make a functioning kidney, that would be the greatest thing because then we wouldn't have to worry about organ donation. People with brain-dead children wouldn't be, you know, having to talk to the organ donation people about, you know, harvesting organs and stuff like that. I I think organ donation is a really noble thing, and we should all say yes to that, but it is always born from tragedy. It's Mm, a brain death or a brain-dead person. Really the only ones that can um, donate live organs 
either that or a thing called donation after cardiac death. And what that is is where you take the person into the operating room while they're still quote-unquote alive. They haven't quite become brain dead yet. And then you wait until they die, and then someone pronounces them, and then they revive them enough so that they can get the organs out in one piece. And I mean, this the whole process, I think everyone, including the donor services, would say, yes, we would prefer it if we could just pull these things off the shelf. Yes. And it's we'll have it someday. This is another step in that direction. Mm-hmm. You got anything else on that? That's really interesting. I do not good. have anything yeah. else on that, but I do have a topic two. Topic number two. Yay. After treatment with semaglutide, people with newly diagnosed type 1 diabetes needed little or no insulin. What? And people with diabetes, there are issues with how the body turns food into energy. Yeah. This is just a little background. Yeah, no, thank sure. you. I know. I'm insulin. not saying it's Jesus no, good. Uh-oh. That's your fine. Keep going. Which is released by the pancreas to regulate how the body's cells turn to blood into Damn sugar. Damn it, that was spam. I should have answered it. Is either ineffective or produced in insufficient quantities in a person with diabetes. There are three types. Type 1, you can get it at any age and is treated with injectable insulin. Type 2, prevented through lifestyle changes and responds to semaglutides and gestational diabetes, Correct. which develops in some pregnant women. Type 1 has been treated with insulin injections ever since insulin was first isolated in a lab in 1921. It is effective, but it requires daily treatment in order to be effective. Semaglutides are effective at treating type 2 diabetes along with providing weight loss management, which is through all the rage now, mm-hmm. and you can't get it anymore if you are not diabetic. And if you are getting it, Please just shut email up. Steve. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I'll just keep your mouth shut. They haven't typically been prescribed <laughs> to treat type mouth. 1 diabetes. Right. Okay. As a matter of fact, there's always a warning that says this is not for treatment exactly. in type 1 diabetes. So I don't know if you're going to find that this is... Um, no, I think this is really interesting. What, well, it is interesting, but I don't know if it's a like legitimate study for you. What do you mean? Yeah. It does come from well, medical news today, though. Well, that's yeah. not where the study was. It was New England Journal no. of Medicine. That's where I got the information from. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> Dr. Parish Dandona, the study's senior author and a professor of the Department of Medicine and former chief of the Division of Endocrinology in the Jacobs School of Medicine. I felt it was important to say his, um, yep. you know, what he was told Medical News Today that researchers wanted to explore how people with type 1 diabetes responded to semaglutide. Do they know how this works? Because this is outstanding. Now, what I've got, this this is in the New England Journal, but it's correspondence. So it was a small case series, semaglutide after the diagnosis of type 1 diabetes, which is insulin-dependent diabetes, led to elimination of insulin with meals in all patients and basal insulin, in other words, they're, you know, they're, where they give themselves the long-acting insulin mm-hmm. in most, along with improved glycemic control. What in the hell? Yeah, because people it's believe be early. that yeah, there go. is no insulin reserve in a patient with top 1 Obviously diabetes. incorrect, if this is true. And it's that's how it's been practiced since 1922. Maybe time for a change. We discovered about four years ago from other studies that all new diagnosed Cases of type 1 diabetes have 50% of their insulin reserves still intact. 
The study was composed of here, want, want, 10 people, all of whom had been diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in the past three to six months. This is basically a proof of concept study. Over a period of time, their semaglutide dosage was steadily increased as they were weaned off their (laughs) usual insulin shots. Within three months, researchers reported none of the participants required mealtime insulin doses. And within six months, seven of the ten participants no longer no longer needed basal background insulin. Right. Mm. Okay, so this is what, um, if I had a kid and they had were diagnosed with type 1 diabetes yesterday... Um, I would absolutely get them into a study. I mean, I'm looking it up on clinicaltrials.gov right now, semaglutide and type 1 diabetes, and we'll do all studies. This is, okay, um, there are quite a few places that are recruiting right now. Type 1 diabetes impacts of semaglutide on cardiovascular outcomes. Okay, Adjunct semaglutide treatment in type 1. <clears throat> Randomized trial of semaglutide for diabetic kidney disease in type 1. We want to find the one where you're the uh, weekly subcutaneous semaglutide as adjunct to closed loop therapy in type 1 diabetes. There's a bunch of studies, a matter of uh, 21 studies that are active on clinicaltrials.gov. So, what you do is you talk to your endocrinologist, bring that thing in, and say, I want to try this. Yes. Yeah, and if they need to get them into a clinical trial, I would I would absolutely do that. This is this is stunning enough that it's worth pursuing, <clears throat> even though we don't have double-blind placebo-controlled data, mm-hmm. we don't have a sufficient number of people who have been in these trials. But <clears throat> if you can turn this around for a kid, then you don't end up with PA John, right. who has had diabetes type one his whole life on an insulin pump mm-hmm. and is, you know, at risk for heart attack, stroke, kidney disease, My retinal dad. disease. Your dad was another one. Now, your dad was a little different. He was type 2 who oh, turned yeah. into a type 1. <clears throat> he uh, he went so long that he ended up having to have insulin even though he was type 2 diabetic and we became insulin dependent. So okay. there's more information here on understanding mm. semaglutides. This is outstanding. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. And how yeah. these medications are not only helpful with people with type 2 diabetes, but also aiding in weight loss. However, mm. the weight loss is more concentrated in lean muscle rather than fat. So it's very important for all these people who are still getting it. Listen here. <laughs> to counsel them on strength Listen training, it. weight training, and regularly exercising because otherwise you're going to get skinny fat. Yeah. Skinny fat is no good. Once you lose weight, up to 40% of that could be muscle loss, and that's very hard to get back, especially as you get older. That's wild. So um, they talk about stuff. how semaglutide is currently only approved for tri- type 2 diabetes and therefore and every ad you see they will say not for use in type 1 diabetes and not covered by insurance companies for type 1 diabetes but if you can get into clinical trial they'll pay for it but it it could represent a big change in quality of life for patients with type 1 wouldn't be wonderful instead of three shots a day you get one shot a week we've been looking for a stem cell transplant for type 1 diabetics mm-hmm. for all this time trying to figure out a way that we can just get their pancreases to to make insulin again. 
or an artificial pancreas, you know, all this thing. Wouldn't it be wild if just it's this just drug, drug and all you got to do is just give it to them early enough and they never have to it, – whatever the process was that was killing the, as Dr. Scott calls them, islet cells. <laughs> we in the United States call them islet cells. Yes. Whatever is killing those, this stuff actually just stops it and well, then they regenerate. Can, it would be wild if they could produce <clears throat> enough for the people who need it right now. True. So um, I know it sounds like science fiction. But they're going to expand the study to make a multi-center study well, for a prolonged to. period right, of right, time. Right. Yeah, because you don't want it to be a flowers for Algernon type situation where they, you know, they're okay, and then all of a sudden they they regress again. Because hmm. so that what concludes Tacy's. Well, topics. I'm going to give you a bell for that. Great Self job, bell. Great job. That was a good one. Yeah. I'm excited about that. Yeah. I don't get excited about too much of this shit, but that's very exciting. That is pretty awesome. I've had so many adolescents that just go, fuck it, I'm not doing this, you yep. know, because that's what adolescents do. Yep. And it's like, listen, just hang in there, hang in there. It's coming, it's coming. And, I, you know, I kind of feel like I gave a few of them a bum answer because some of that was 30 years ago and we're still searching for the answer. But uh, it was always right around the corner. This is really, really interesting if this bears fruit now. Again, we're talking 10 people, stunning result, unheard of, unprecedented result in those 10 people. But we got to do this right, you know. Yeah. So uh, standard treatment, we don't have to do placebo necessarily. That may be with it, with something that's this stunning of a result. Placebo control may not be ethical. So they'll have to decide that. But, uh, you know, if this holds up. They'll have to stop the study, switch everybody over to the treatment phase. If they do a placebo control, I don't think they will. They might test them against historical controls because everybody knows how it goes. Right. You don't really – with type 1 diabetes, we all kind of know how it goes. You know, these kids present with diabetic ketoacidosis, which is the first time that their pancreas fails and their blood sugar goes crazy. They can't metab or they can't absorb – or I'm sorry, they can't incorporate sugar into their cells anymore, so they start to burn fat, and that's why they get the ketones, and uh, they get sicker in hell because their blood sugar just keeps going up and their electrolytes get messed up and stuff. And then you get them under control with an insulin drip, and you send them home on insulin, and then they start sticking their finger and all this stuff, and you get them on an insulin pump eventually, and eventually, you know, um, although the outcomes are way better now than they were, they uh, end up with complications, et cetera, et cetera. So we all know that's how this goes. We don't really have to do a placebo control, in my opinion, for this particular condition because we've been dealing with it for 100 years like this. So, uh, you, you know, using matched historical controls I think would be okay. Now, if you want to do it in older people and see if it prevents heart attack and stuff, then I think it's totally fine to uh, use, you know, placebo control because we don't know if it does anything there. But anyway, anyway, hmm. this is, yeah, I'll shut up about it. I'm very excited. All right, we had a question about NAD. Was that what it was with Johnny, Johnny Long something or other? Long failer. Yeah, he's one of them long failers, I tell you. Let's see. Dr. Steve, about yes. the NAD infusions, maybe you can talk about that a little bit. Okay. 
Okay, yeah, I know a little bit about nicotinamide. So NAD is nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. And um, there is some, some data that shows that you can preserve cognitive ability, executive functioning through supplementation with NAD precursors. And the one that I take is uh, nicotinamide riboside. Now, Scott, weren't you taking a nicotinamide at one point? Mm-hmm. Yes, I still do. You still do? Yep. Are you taking the nicotinamide riboside, or what are you taking? Nicotinib- uh, nicotinamide riboside, yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You can take niacin, but, uh, you know, that yeah. stuff, uh, you get the, the red face, hootie who flushes, yeah. green apple quick step and all that stuff. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so NAD may have some benefit in age-related cognitive decline. Maybe even there's some data, but, you know, looking at uh, Alzheimer's dementia and vascular dementia, but there's also some data on diabetes, stroke, and traumatic brain injury. So uh, it is very interesting. I know that some places are setting up NAD um, infusions. I'm not aware of data that shows that getting one infusion every month is superior to just taking nicotinamide in a pill form. And I don't have some. Any, well, do you have any? No, but I was going to say, and there, I also see where they use it sometimes for drug and alcohol addiction to help with withdrawal symptoms. Hmm. Yeah, but I think the reason it's obvious. Well, I would assume the reason they do it IV is just so it's a lot quicker to the brain, maybe bypasses the blood-brain barrier, unlike a well, a pill, maybe. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know about or that. Or maybe because it's more expensive to do an IV therapy than it is to do a oral. Than to do a pill at home. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Which would yeah. be my guess. Well, the pills are not that expensive. That's my point. <clears throat> you know, oh, right. Okay, yeah, I see yeah, what you're saying. Yeah, that. My, yeah that's my point. Yeah, the pills are about 500% less expensive. Exactly. But uh, I'm looking at uh, Memorial uh, Sloan Kettering. I just want to see if they've got anything interesting. It's not a schlumpy place. Let me see if they've got anything interesting about nicotinamide. Um, purported use and benefits to prevent skin cancer. Now, we did talk about that before. A large study found that taking nicotinamide can reduce the risk of getting certain types of skin cancers and uh, also may reduce the occurrence of rough scaly patches. Uh, It's also used as medicine for treating skin conditions such as acne and rosacea. But um, so far, I don't see a whole lot of uh, uh, anything in here that says... Any interesting information regarding it versus infusion. But I am a fan of nicotinamide. And if you're at risk for certain skin cancers, I would certainly take it. Yeah. It enhances repair of ultraviolet radiation, uh, radia- I'm sorry, radiation induced DNA damage in human melanocytes, which, you know, presumably. Uh, would uh, reduce the risk of uh, melanoma, which is a shit cancer that can kiss my ass. Really putting my neck out there, saying cancer sucks and melanoma can kiss my ass. (laughs) All right, it's well tolerated, so there you go. All right, Uh, I'm in favor of it. Don't know that I would pay extra until we find out more about whether... The IV is somehow superior to taking the pill. Okay? Sounds good. All right. What else you got? Mm. We good? Okay. All right. Is that all from there? Okay. (laughs) That's all, yeah. Let's go back uh, to the year 2024. I 
hope that person's still alive. I know. I know. Here we go. Hey, Dr. Steve. This is Jeff in Ohio. I had a question. Someone in my gym told me that if you drink diet soda, the sweet taste on your tongue causes your body to release insulin. And because you're releasing insulin, you're gaining weight. You're gaining more weight, and you are uh, more likely to eat more sweet foods after that. Um, I just was curious on your opinion. Did I say 2024? Woody just pointed out this is a phone call from the future. This is from 2014. 14. <laughs> if diet soda does actually cause the release of insulin or artificial sweeteners in general, if they cause the release of insulin. Yeah, this, this person was really ahead of the curve because that's something that really hasn't been fully elucidated until recently, that if you drink... Uh, something that, because uh, I was always like, oh, no, artificial sweeteners are totally fine. If you drink something that tastes sweet to the brain, it's like, okay, there's sweet stuff. Where's my carbs? Hmm. And when it doesn't get the carbs, then you start to crave them hmm. to kind of assuage that, the hunger, you know. Hmm. And it probably is from a, a release of insulin through some other mechanism. Hmm. So it's pretty interesting. And, uh, or, or it may just be a brain thing where the brain is, it just has a mechanism by which it says, here comes some carbs. Wait a minute, where are they? Because I know if I drink something with artificial sweetener in it and I come home, I will just eat popcorn and rice cakes with penis I, butter on them and everything until I'm just completely stuffed. What were you going to say, Tate? I think it's true. Yeah, I do too. Mm-hmm. So that, that seems to be a real thing, and that's from 10 years ago. That's pretty good. Very well done. All right. Cool. Here's another one from uh, April 24th, 2014, area code 774. Hey, Dr. Steve. Hey, man. Everybody tells me I got a prostate problem, but I've had every test in the world, and I don't have a prostate problem. What I do have is a muscle that runs right underneath my navel that goes from one hip to the other hip. And it feels like it gets tightened up like a big rubber band, and it makes it hard to pee. Hmm. And they want to throw me on these slow max drugs or whatever, and that yeah. just ruins my sex life and this and that. I just need some other extended help. Thank you. Call me back, 770. Oh, okay. Yeah, you want me to call him back. Sorry, man. It was uh, nine years ago. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, so he has a muscle that is causing difficulty urination. What do you got? Well, I was going to say, he, he thinks it's a muscle. Yeah. yeah. What do you think it is? God, difficult. It sounds oh, to me you like sounded a prostate. like you had an answer. No, hell no. I was just like, a muscle that runs from your navel to your hips, not so sure. Yeah. But, you know, <clears throat> the um, it sounds like they're treating him with prostatitis, which would be the norm. Yeah, they wanted to put him on Flomax. If he wants to know, yeah, I'm sorry. Well, back then we didn't have some of the tools we have now. What right. I would do is I would shove an ultrasound probe up his ass and measure the size of his prostate. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing you can do is a thing called manometry, where you stick a balloon up your, you know, your cock hole into your urethra, and then see uh, if there how much resistance there is to flow uh, from the uh, 
prostate across to the urethra. And if there's a huge drop-off in pressure, then it probably is a prostate problem. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, a urology, don't – if you have a problem like this and your primary care is just throwing pills at it, go to a urologist and let them actually, you know, do some studies on you and see. He could have a urethral stricture. Right. There's all kinds of stuff. He, he could have. have a herniated disc in his lower back, or, Ooh, and, and that okay. could give him Give thyself a bell. I'll give I, got, I already got one, Scott, so yep. we're even. Right. Damn it. Yes. But, you, but both you know, have one. But, but, you know, but to, be, to, to be clear, the prostate, you know, having a prostate problem, you're going to have a couple of things. Well, everybody equates inability to pee to having a prostate problem. But that's not always what it is. That's or right. what about yeah. peeing too often? Mm. Could be, but. The, not always prostate either. Yeah, so so we, right, you know, we'll talk about that next. Yeah, and, and when you go to, to your urologist, typically they'll give you a sheet and they'll say fill out these, you know, yes. on, one to five. How often? How many times do you urinate at nighttime? Right. You know, and typically if it's more than twice, that's that's an issue. Do you feel like you're gonna have an accident before you can void your bladder? Mm. In other words, can you get to the bathroom before you pee your pants? Right. Um, right. That's an issue. When you feel like you when you've peed or you're still feeling like you have to pee more. In other words, you you uh, you can't void your bladder completely, right? Or do you have binary flow where you pee, and then you have to pee again, mm-hmm. or you pee and it's forceful and then it decreases mm-hmm. and then it comes back again? Mm-hmm. That's binary flow. That is also a sign of prostate issues. Or if you're sitting and pissing in the morning. Mm-hmm. Because you read the newspaper on the john or whatever, and then you get up, and then you get in the shower, and now you have to pee again. That mm-hmm. could be another one. That's also so called binary flow. Yeah. Do you guys work in a way such as women my age have have to pee, but we also have to lean forward? No, you got um, to up get anatomy. the rest of the pee out. <laughs> I just wondered if you guys have to change positions. We don't all. have a vaginal wall that's that's weak, and so that the bottom of our bladder is dipping down into our vaginas. And nice, that, that, but that yeah. pulls fluid that causes you to have to lean forward, and that's really more what that is. There is treatment for that, though. But please. if you're prostate, is it surgery? No, no, it doesn't have to be. This is the one time when we can use um, uh, uh, estrogen cream to tighten up and thicken the vaginal wall. Mm-hmm. Or you can use a device called a Votiva, which is basically a dildo that has micro needles on it that you shove in and out and turn uh, radio frequency and electricity on. Mm-hmm. And you go in and out. And what it does is it will tighten up the tissue as well. That is not a procedure that I can do. Yeah. Well, and what because if the it first time that you? I did one where you take a an electrified dildo, basically, and you, you know, go in and out and in and out, in and out and all around. Mm-hmm. The, the first time I did that, they'd say that creepy old man assaulted me. In that okay, office. so creepy old man. What if I have already done that. Correct. I'm still having that issue. Well, how many times did you do it? Because you're supposed to go the back and back. total and back. amount of times that you're supposed to. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you say that. I don't think that's true. It, I did. Well, you got well, relief initially, right? Yeah, I did. But then, I mean, it's still you, it's still there. I mean, it's better. But then you but have I've to been go back. noticing I've been having, well, I'm... Right, exactly. Not, I'm not fucking paying that, but anyway. Okay, fair enough. Well, what about the cream? Just piss yourself. Let's talk about totally the cream. <laughs> well, no, the cream. I can I can lean forward, Steve. I don't I can right. do that and not piss myself. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you can do the cream. Uh, you just mm-hmm. talk to your OBGYN about okay. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll absolutely. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Well, and I was just going to say, but we have a similar thing. If the prostate swells, the prostate swells up into the base of the bladder. Mm-hmm. The bladder bloops over the prostate. Correct. And now we've got the same kind of, or a very similar issue with all that. The urine is in a little ring above the prostate inside the bladder. Right. Yeah, just it's kind of similar. Sloshing around yeah. in a ring. So what do you do? How do you get it out? Well, that's a whole other thing. You, you can you lean can, forward. You can lean forward, lean back, and lean back. <laughs> wiggle yeah, around wiggle a little, around bit. little bit. Yeah, but but the the difference is is that it doesn't pull up in one area, so we can't just lean forward because it's kind of in the circumference. Yeah, it's around the, the prostate. What would be for the good is part. if you could get on one of those rides. Where they you you stand there and it spins around oh, and then it raises <laughs> like a tilt whirl kind of that, <laughs> that, that would do it that would do that it. would totally that fix would your totally stuff. fix it, but you know for 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 the but but you know for this guy it, it could be a disc it could be neurologic it could be prostate but there are a lot of tests they can do now that are not it as, could be as ure- painful a urethral stricture, stricture yep. where he just has a narrowing. Of the tube going from the bladder to the outside world. Mm. And those are easy to fix, but he needs a urologist. I'm hoping in the last nine years that he did that. Okay. Let's hope so. <laughs> God. Oh, this is terrible. <laughs> okay. Oh, wait. Uh-oh. Oops. Oops. Hang on. My wife what? has had HPV oh. since we've been married. And I just now, it's been seven years, and I just now started getting warts on my dick. Should I be concerned? Okay, now it's been 16 years. So, uh, yeah, you got to get that treated. Uh, Unfortunately, certain varieties of HPV can increase your risk of penile cancer, rectal cancer, head and neck cancer and stuff, which is why, listen, there's not anything you can do about it now. Just get get one of the lesions tested, see if you're at risk. If you are, listen, knowing you're at risk means you're less likely to die from whatever that thing is. If you know you're at risk for um, for colon cancer, you're going to get your colonoscopies right. more frequently, and you're going to be less likely to die from it. Right. So do that, and then vaccinate your kids with the Gardasil or whatever. Um, you know, when you listen to this another nine years in the future, whatever HPV vaccine there is, those are anti-cancer vaccines. Those are not STD vaccines. Those are vaccines to prevent head and neck cancer, anal anal rectal cancer, cervical cancer, and penile cancer. Mm. And all of them suck. They're, oh, God. And yeah. to understand that HPV is everywhere. Yes. Yes. Right, right. It's like 48% of people. If you bone a random person, you've once. got once you've got a significant chance of being exposed to HPV. Why would you do a crazy thing like that? If they've ever had an, an abnormal <laughs> pap smear, for one. But anyway, all right. Uh, let's see here. Um, here's a, God, I don't know what this one is. Okay, this is from April 24th, 2014. I think we'll just keep doing this until we run out of phone calls, which will take Dr. Steve, this yes. is David in Augusta, Georgia. Hey, David. Hey, a 52-year-old lesbian trapped in a man's body. Fair. Okay. okay now, I noticed this growth 60. between my left clavicle and trapezius about midway that I thought was an old people's wart. One of those big round ones that okay. grows a hair, just gets in the way. Sure, a skin tag or yeah. Then I noticed it became translucent, and I popped it. 
and out came this irregular white-shaped object about the size of a pea, bright white, very little blood, mostly what I think is serum came out with it. Yeah. And I think it was a fibroid. It reminded me of what came out of uh, some uh, ovaries when I was working as a surgical technician, mm. except a whole lot smaller. Yeah. Was this indeed a fibroid? And if it was, what was it doing up there around my clavicle? It's a good question. Um, any of the cysts that form in the body will turn white, will have a white sort of uh, outer layer. And I'm talking about epidermoid cysts, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. They'll all be white. So the only way that you would know if this was a, was a, had been a fibroid would have been to take it to a pathologist, have them slice it up and look at it under the microscope. Right and that would have characteristic cellular mm -hmm. thing. But I, I have taken out... Uh, now, lipomas are generally yellow and well circumscribed, but I've taken out cysts from people that uh, grew uh, because they had a trauma to the skin. And what happens yes. is, is, if you think about it, your skin sloughs, it's constantly sloughing off. There's layers, and the, la the deepest layers produce the layers on top, and then it keeps producing until they become flattened keratotic looking they're hardly even cells and they slough off and this process is just continually happening mm -hmm. and regenerating well what happens if you um to have a puncture wound that drives some of the cells that are creating keratinized dead cells that slough off now they can't slough off anymore but it'll keep producing them mm -hmm. well it's going to make a cyst it's going to make a cyst under the skin and every once in a while you can uh uh you know feel one of those mm -hmm. and it feels like a nodule and if you cut it open it'll be white and the junk inside it will be chalky white sort of looking stuff you know it's like like compressed Some cottage oily cheese. Kind of, yeah, it's like oil. Crazy. It stinks and it's yeah. greasy. And what that is, is that that's just, those are skin cells that never sloughed off. What if it's mm. hard? Well, yeah, if it's hard, then it may just be small enough that the thickness of the cyst wall is large compared to whatever's inside it, and okay. that'll make a hard it feels one. like a little BB or something. Yeah, like yeah, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you that the granulated tissue is kind of like that. It all has to do with how how big the thing is so that what is the, the ratio of the um, uh, thickness of the cyst wall compared to the cyst itself. The innards. So... I let's well. I, I guess I can tell this story. There was a person once that had a big giant one on their back, mm -hmm. and it got infected. And when they get infected, they get even bigger. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now all of a sudden, because when they, oh when these um, that was me again. Sorry. When the cells are um, dividing, they'll get to a certain point where the external pressure will equal the. Internal pressure, the pressure to grow, will be halted by the pressure of the skin overlying it. They can't go any further. Right. Well, when it gets infected, all of a sudden, it's like going when the sun starts burning carbon instead of hydrogen. It's so much hotter, and it'll blow up the uh, and the sun will become a red giant, right? Mm -hmm. Like Beetlejuice. So uh, these things will do the same. When they get infected, that pressure will increase, and now they can become much, much bigger. But now it'll be all kind of fluctuant. And if it's on somebody's back and it's really tight, 
And then you go and uh, take a number 11 scalpel, which is the triangular sharp one, and you stick a, a hole in that to relieve the pressure. And it's under enough pressure that it starts shooting out mm. pus, infected fluid, basically. Mm. And... Yes. Um, and it's all broken down. It was sort of cheesy stuff. Now it's just fluid because of all the bacteria have just been eating it, and it stinks. And when that happens, it happens so quickly, you're surprised. And what do you do when you're surprised? You go, well, ah, like that, and you open your mouth in surprise, and all this stuff goes shooting into your mouth nice. and covers up your glasses. And now you got a mouthful of somebody else's pus. Your glasses are completely covered. You can't see anything. And uh, now you can't stop. You got to keep going. Yeah. You can't just stop. You can't no. s- turn nowadays, around. But nowadays you'd have a mask on. Nowadays I would have a mask and a shield. I would. I did every other time after that <laughs> because I was pretty green when this happened. Oh gosh. And uh, that only has to happen to you once. Yep. And once. Yep. There's plenty. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, now, when when that happens, then you end up with a big cavity, and you got to jam it full of this stuff called iodoform. But I don't anyway. Mm-hmm. It's uh, yeah. So that one was fluctuant because the ratio of the size of the cyst to the um, the thickness of the of the cyst wall was very great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it you know the the closer to one to one it gets, the harder and less elastic those things will be. Okay, dope. Cool. All right, so I think that's probably what that was. If you express something from your body and you don't know what it is, you can always just stick it in um, uh, saline mm-hmm. or uh, oil even, like put it in a jar and you can pour oil oh, over oil it. Oil or something, yeah. Yeah, just to preserve it and take it and have have a, a pathologist look at it under the microscope. Mm-hmm. All right. Okie doke. Uh, same guy. Nope. Okay. Here we go. Uh, here's one from April 26, 2014. I'm sorry, y'all. I don't know how this hey, happened. Dr. Steve. Hey. Last week on the ONA show, they were talking about Ken's body and brain smell this uh, during a dream. Okay, I can't understand what he's saying, so I'm going to move on. Sorry, man. Uh, nine, you waited nine years for that. You want to just <laughs> what? rewind it? No, I couldn't understand him, so I, I think it was his audio. Hey, Dr. Steve, my name is Max Maryland. Hey, I'm a disabled bachelor. I've been dealing with uh, back issues for okay. a while. Thanks for your service, too, man. Yeah, and dude. recently I've been having a uh, uh, pain in uh, shooting down my leg against a static pain. Yep. It's caused my foot, uh, it's caused my calf to go really, really tight, and then my foot to go numb. Okay. Now, I've been going to the VA Medical Center. They've been giving me, uh, they prescribed me gabapentin. Yeah. I don't know. I, I looked it up. And it says it was for some nerve stuff. Yeah. Well, uh, it's, we use it every day now. Back then, it was not so said, hey, take that for a while, and it should get better. But my wife's been trying to convince me to go to, uh, uh, what is it, the Philadelphia... Spinal laser. Oh, that's the place I almost went to. I know exactly mm-hmm. what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. So uh, here's the thing, and Dr. Scott can talk about mm-hmm. this some, and we've got, I don't know, we've got about a, two minutes left. If you have a slip disc or whatever, a herniated disc in your back, or if you've got spondylolisthesis where the bones are not lining up properly, whatever it is, and it causes pain that runs down your leg, that is 
we will often call that sciatica, but it's really lumbar radiculopathy mm-hmm. is the is the correct term right. for that. And but if it is accompanied by neurologic deficit, in other words, a floppy foot, right, or you can't you can't piss, feel. Oh, right. Um, okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. You t- you, you. Well, but but no. Right. But you're. But that's the, the big red yeah. flags for sciatica. If, if number one, if you lose you lose sensory function. Right. So you can't feel your your leg. You can't feel your foot. You, you numbness that doesn't that doesn't resolve when you right. change positions. Right. Um, or you you, you, you can't you lose control of your bladder. You lose control of your or your bowels. Those are surgical. That's emergencies. A, that is correct. Yeah, that those, is a that is a an occasion to go get that yes. shit looked at then, right ASAP. <laughs> right. And uh, sometimes it will be surgery. Now the surgery that yes. they were doing at that place, uh, they're still doing it. Is sort of a novel surgery where rather than putting in a cage, they have uh, stabilizers that go in and they open up the. Um, the parts of the uh, uh, yeah, I'm trying to do this in lay terms. Parts of the vertebral body that are causing the pressure, they'll un- they'll cut those out, but it makes it unstable. Right. So they put this thing in that is not a cage; it's not fixed, mm. and what it actually does is allow you to still bend mm. your uh, back, and it's a really neat surgery. I considered doing it when I was in in my extremis, which thank the good Lord above that I have a really good physical medicine and rehab provider that knew what the hell they were doing and got in there with the right kind of needle, the right kind of medicine. I can basically do anything right now. I could walk, I could go to Disney and walk 10 miles. I'm convinced right now and not even think about it. Yeah. And then see people like Dr. Scott, Dr. Scott works with pain management. People that do the same kind of things. And, uh, you can do this without surgery, without opioids, but there are some cases where you just got to go do the surgery. Yes, yes. Since sensory loss, motor loss. In other words, yeah. if, you, if now you can't move your foot, or like you said, you, right. you know, foot you, drop. You, yeah, foot drop. Any any time, any major change like that. But if it's not that, and sciatica can be like you said, actually the lumbar radiculopathy, which is a we would call a discogenic sciatica. Right. Um, and the other kind of sciatica is is a piriformis syndrome. Piriformis. So yeah. you have a Very muscle good. actually. Okay, spasm. I'm gonna have to give him a belt. Give thyself a bell. Suck it. Right. So piriformis syndrome. Yeah, yeah, so that's a muscle that's actually spasming around the side. It gives you almost the exact same um, signs and symptoms, the same problems with the pain and um, misery, but but it's actually from a muscle, not your spine. And you can treat that yourself Very, with stretches with at stretches home. Stretches and, and, you know, acupuncture needles work real well. Yeah, Ice can help. Of course. You know, heat can help. Sure. I mean, but all these you, things if can. if you think you might have that, Google piriformis, piriformis syndrome. syndrome yep. And uh, there are videos out there that will show you the exercises. Yep. He just got that bell because he was paying attention awesome. and not to the heat <laughs> that we're currently enduring. Well, that's right. That's it, It's amazing how... Not hot it is outside, and it got really hot up here. That's crazy. I look forward to moving the studio to your place, Scott. Okay, well, let's get out of here. Thanks always go to Dr. Scott and Tacey. Thanks, everyone, who's made this show happen over the years. Listen to our SiriusXM show on the Faction Talk channel, SiriusXM channel 103, Saturdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern, on demand, other times at Jim McClure's pleasure. Many thanks to our listeners whose voicemail and topic ideas make this job very easy. Go to our website at drsteve.com for schedules, podcasts, and other crap. Until next time, check your stupid nuts for lumps. Don't listen to my niece, Holly. Quit smoking. Get off your asses and get some exercise. We'll see you in one week for the next edition of Weird Medicine. (laughs) Thank you. 
At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.